Jenkins and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Five o'clock hour, the Burns and Gambo show. Jordan Bird in for Gambo today on this Friday as we are live from Footprint Center. Suns and the Rockets tonight, 7 o'clock. You'll hear it here on Arizona Sports. And, of course, our coverage today is presented to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And it's another opportunity for Devin Booker to impress. The last time we saw him, he was impressive. 7 of 9 in the paint. 7 of 9 from mid-range. 5 of 6 from the foul line. 6 of 7 from three-point land. Um, just the seventh player in StatHead's database to score 50 or more points in 31 or fewer minutes. Uh, Joel Embiid did it. A lot of it came inside the arc. There was one reliable talent evaluator. I'm looking at a story, Jordan, from YahooSports.com. It was, in the words of one pretty reliable evaluator, quote, bleeping ridiculous, close quote. <laughs> what you've been paying attention is what Booker has been all season long. He's th- those, I, if you wanted to bet Devin Booker to win the MVP. Man, I hope you get, got in on that a couple of weeks ago, cause, or even a couple of days ago. Because not that he's going to do this every game, but I think those odds are just going to get better and better for him as long as the Suns keep winning and as long as Devin Booker is the main reason why. It's kind of like college football in the Heisman race, right? You know, after a certain point of the season, there's one or two games that can really elevate a guy and put him in that race. And that's kind of what it feels like now with Devin Booker. After the last week or so, it's like, okay, he is now firmly in that MVP conversation and I think is starting to get some respect from around the rest of the league and the rest of the country. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I I still... Well, you know what? Let me play the soundbite and then we'll, we'll have a conversation about it because I, I think he is starting to get there. This is Kendrick Perkins yesterday on ESPN and they're on the NBA Today show and Richard Jefferson is on the panel as well. And Kendrick Perkins said one of the strongest things yet about Devin Booker when it comes to the MVP race and how he deserves more MVP love than he's been getting. Devin Booker is not only putting up the numbers, but he's winning basketball games. Number one in the Western Conference. So he should get a lot more love. And it starts with guys like you, Richard, what? so that you can't continue to move whoa, the goalposts or whoa, do whoa, the things whoa, that's whoa, convenient for them. When you, bring up, when you bring up guys like Luka Doncic, that's sitting at a 500 record instead of acknowledging what Devin Booker is doing right now, not just individually, but his team is winning games at the top of the Western Conference. Now, he's given a bunch of crap to Richard Jefferson. I think it's funny. I, I like both of them. I like that show. But I, I, I can assume from that that Richard Jefferson probably in the past or even on that show was backing MVP candidates who were more along the lines of, well, he's the best player in the league. He's the MVP. Luca, my God, he does things that nobody else can do. He should be the MVP. And it's almost like Kendrick Perkins is saying, man, for all these years, all we've ever said about Devin Booker is the wins matter. The wins matter. Okay, he's winning basketball games. We have to pay that off as the NBA community. Yeah. We're insisting to you that that's the most important thing. Now that he's doing it, we have to pay that off a little bit. It feels like such a double standard, especially when it's Booker against Luka, of how Luka is evaluated and how he gets judged by the rest of the league compared to Devin Booker, and I just feel like there's this, like you said, there's a perception that Booker can never do anything to win over everyone, right? Luka won over the NBA the moment he stepped on the floor, I feel like. Devin Booker not winning enough. Now he starts winning. Well, ah, well, you know, he's got Chris Paul, and he's got all this other help. Well, now Chris Paul is out, and he's still playing like this, and it's, well, yeah, but look at what Luka is doing. It just feels like Devin Booker is held to a different standard than some of these other NBA players. And as an Arizona born and bred myself, I take offense with Richard Jefferson. He's a Phoenix boy. He should be back in the Suns. <laughs> Come on, Richard. Come on, Richard. Let's go. Um I think of it I think of it like I think what works against Devin Booker a lot is I think of it like a restaurant, okay? A restaurant opens, and you go there, and you have a terrible meal. You're like, all right, I'll go try it again in six months. And you go there, and you have a terrible meal. And after a while, you kind of stop going to the restaurant, right? You're like, I've just, the service, the food, it's this, it's that, it's whatever. All right, and then after like five years, someone says, no, really, you should go to this restaurant. I swear, they've changed the menu, they've fixed the problems. It's really, really good. And, And I think... 
because the Suns were a bad restaurant for so long, and because Devin Booker was seen as an empty stat guy on a bad basketball team for so long, even though I think he and they have done more than enough to flush that reputation out, yeah. you know, I still think it lingers with them with some people. Like, people look at Devin Booker like, one, you know, that empty stat tag shouldn't follow him, but it still, I think, does to some people. And two, I think some people are wowed by Luca's skill set or Giannis's skill set in a way that they're not wowed by Devin Booker for whatever reason. That's like, fair. Like there's something about Devin Booker's game that stylistically just doesn't. Oh my God! Did you see that unbelievable thing that Luka Doncic did in that game last night? Stylistically, it feels like Devin's still playing catch up to that somehow. I don't know why. But what's funny about that, and I agree with you, it's not like the Suns have just broken through this season, and we have two and a half months of a sample I know, size. I know. This began in the bubble when the Suns went 8-0 you know, in Orlando. It's There is season and seasons of evidence now, but it really gets me thinking, and once again, the double standard of it. I was thinking as you were mentioning all that, well, what's the one thing that will get everyone off his back? An NBA title. Luka hasn't come close to an NBA no, title. No. So why does he get a pass when Devin Booker is held to a different standard? I think part of it is because I think Luka Luca's game is tailor-made in a way for the highlight-driven social media, oh my God, look at this play kind of crowd. I don't know. Did you see some of the shots and plays that Booker had the other night? I I did. Yeah, I did. And I I also think, to your point, yeah, they've been winning here for two and a half years now. But think about about the timeline, right? Like, okay, they won in the bubble. Yeah, but look at the teams they played. They were resting a bunch of guys, you know, and, and so it wasn't the best competition. Then they start winning outside of the bubble. Yeah. Yeah, but they got Chris Paul, and everyone knows the point God is the real reason why they're winning this games. Even last year, I remember even last year towards the end of last season, we would debate on this show between Gambo and I, who's actually the more valuable player on the roster? Is it Booker or Chris Paul? Hmm. We even had Ramona Shelburne yeah. from ESPN on us because, yeah, you know, I'm trying to figure out which Phoenix Sun to give my MVP vote to. Which one should I give it to? We told her Chris Paul. We're like, you know what? If, if honestly you got to pick anybody, it's probably Chris Paul at this point. So in some ways, we're just as guilty of this in a sense. yeah, but culture, yeah, but culture, yeah, but culture when it comes to Devin Booker. Now, all the yeah, buts are gone. Chris Paul's not playing. They're winning games. They've got the best record in the Western Conference. They've got one of the best point differentials in the NBA. He's scoring. They're winning. There still is one yeah, but. What's the yeah, but that's left? Yeah, but it's the regular season. What's going to happen in the playoffs? Yeah, and you know what? And I honestly, I hate that one too because I know that people are going to hold last year's series against Dallas against Devin, and rightfully so. He did not play well in Game 6 and 7. Yeah. That's when you expect your superstar to elevate you. He didn't elevate them. I'll, I'll give you that. But we've also got a whole databank of material from the finals run in which Devin Booker, what, back-to-back 40-point nights against well, the, yeah. the Bucks, or, or what he did to eliminate the Clippers, what he did to eliminate the Lakers, what he did in that, that Nuggets, that that wasn't enough? You know, like, I mean, those weren't big enough games for you? Well, and then you Using the comparison of those other guys that are in that group. We're already talking about Luca, But think about a guy like John Morant. He seems to have already elevated to a place above Devin Booker. Again, there's that. But what has he done? Uh, again, I, not, on a nothing, team level. Nothing. On a team, on a team level. level not. I mean, they had the second best record in the West, but that didn't get well, The Suns had the first. You're right. I, again, he's a player whose skill set seems very tailor-made for the quick snippet, highlight, sports center, yep. social media. Oh my God, look at this dunk. Oh my God, look at how high he got on this one. Oh my God, look what he did here, right? Whereas Devin Booker's game, while just as thrilling, seems to miss some of that athletic, whoa, did you see what he just did kind of thing. Yeah, but I just think that that it, I can understand it, but it's unfair. I mean, another, oh, it's guy, unfair. another guy in that group is, and is probably the best comparison is Jason Tatum. Because the Celtics did what the Phoenix Suns did. They got to the NBA final. They didn't win it, but they won their conference. Jason Tatum doesn't have this type of baggage that gets carried around or this these perceptions that get placed on him. But for whatever reason, and I think you did lay out some very good examples of why, Devin Booker still has those. Yeah. The Bud Light Super Bowl Music Fest.
Fest, featuring three incredible nights of shows, including Imagine Dragons, Dave Matthews Band, and Paramore, will be headed right here, where we're doing the show from, Footprint Center, from February 9th through the 11th. Tickets are now on sale, but you can head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. Patrick Peterson, could you please just stop talking about the Arizona Cardinals? We'll let you hear what he said next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Football Friday with Burns and Gambo. Presented by 72 Sold. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. So yesterday we had the um, Patrick Peterson clarification, if you will, to what he said on his podcast. His backpedal? His backpedal, yeah. I mean, it certainly sounds... Excuse? It sounded like he was trying to... It sounded like he was trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube to me. You know, like like he like he like somebody got to him and said, "Hey, dude, there's a way to say stuff like that, and you did it the wrong way." You know, Kyler Murray don't care about nothing, but Kyler Murray is is just not cool. It's, yeah. just, it's just it's just not cool. It's, I heard Wolfley talking about this yesterday. It, it violates the code, and I mean, even you know, I I can't recall. An active player doing an active player like that, doing them dirty like that, you know? Like, I, I just... Oh, I'm sure it's happened, but nothing comes to the top of to mind. mind. Yeah. I mean, that's just a hell of a thing to it say about a It hasn't happened here player. locally, no. I'll tell you that. That's a hell of a thing to say about a player. Yeah. You know, that that's still active in the league. You're still active in the league. Kyler Murray don't care about nothing but Kyler Murray. Man, that, that's just scorched earth right there. You don't see a lot of guys in the fraternity, in the club, go scorched earth like that. Go scorched earth on an organization that should mean a lot to you still. And I'm not saying that that gives him a pass and that he shouldn't say anything negative about the Arizona Cardinals, but it's just so hypocritical some of the things that Patrick Peterson said and the way that he said it based off of his own into his tenure here in Arizona. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it, it really is hypocritical on on multiple levels, and we've been down this road with Patrick, right? Like we, but but it is hypocritical because we've seen him be selfish. We've heard him talk selfishly about, you know, hey, I, you know, I didn't get an interception, but it's my first game back after my suspension, and somebody got an interception, and I'm, I'm going to take credit for that. That's the P two effect right there. Okay, or you know, the, just well, the being act of a captain the and requesting a trade, right? Being a captain or requesting a trade. Selfish as you can get. The PED suspension. Probably trying to set yourself up for the next contract and play well so you get paid well. Selfish act. right? I mean, and and now you're the one, you know, so it, all of that. This is Patrick Peterson. And again, we had these quotes yesterday, but, but it sounds better contextually coming from him. Here's Patrick Peterson yesterday trying to walk it back, trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. No, no, this is what I really meant to say about Kyle. First of all, I don't have any beef with Kyler Murray because they was like, oh, Patrick blatantly disrespected Kyler. I didn't do that. You know, what I meant by my comment was when you're a franchise quarterback, you have to carry yourself a certain way. So if you're having bad body language, pouting, moping on the sideline, what type of energy do you think that, that feeds off to your teammates? That's what I meant about Kyler cares that he's caring about himself because he's not putting the team first. Two things off of that. Number one, yeah, you did blatantly disrespect yeah. Kyler Murray. Okay, how can you not think you didn't mean to do that? How can you say you didn't? Hey, how, what do you mean I blatantly disrespected him? I, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. If someone yes, would have said did. that about Patrick Peterson, would he have taken that as an offense? I'm I pretty, guarantee I'm he would have. Pretty sure if somebody had gone on a podcast and said Patrick Peterson don't care about nothing but Patrick Peterson, he would have been offended by that. And number two, if you had just said on your podcast what you just said in that sound. Mm-hmm. And not Kyler Murray don't care about nothing but Kyler Murray. We're not having this conversation. Yeah. All it is is just another guy in the NFL questioning Kyler's body language, questioning Kyler's leadership. Well, man, you throw a rock in the air, you can hit 10 guys who think that right. about Kyler, right? I mean, yeah. okay, that's nothing new. 
but that doesn't work in the podcast world. You got to say something sexy. You got to say something that's going to attention grabbing, click worthy, and all of that. And if he had just said what he just said there, okay, fine. I mean, nobody's going to make much of a stink about Patrick Peterson. Yeah, saying but that. what he's saying here in that cut that you just played is completely, I don't want to say completely, but it's pretty much unrelated to what he said in the podcast because he's talking about two different things. The podcast comment where he said Kyler only cares about Kyler was in relation to the comments that Kyler made after the Chargers game where he was talking about schematically they were bleeped on that fourth and short play. Even though Patrick Peterson didn't really add any context to that, I had no issue when you realize what Kyler was actually talking about. He wasn't throwing anyone under the bus. In all honesty, he was actually praising the Chargers defense for blowing up the play for the Cardinals in that situation. So he wasn't he's talking about two different things, but he's trying to act like, well, I was saying the same thing. No, you weren't. Oh, you weren't. You weren't saying the same thing. And 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 even though I mean to me they're not the same thing. I, I guess to some people they might look at it and say, well that's basically but I, I to me that's not the same thing. And there is a real difference to what you say versus how you say it. And you know the I, even his co-host Brian McFadden. If you go back and you listen to the original podcast, Brian McFadden is verbally handcuffed by what Patrick Peterson has said. He's like, well, um, er, uh, yeah. okay, hey, look, you played with a guy. If that's even Brian McFadden knows in his mind. Dude, you can't say that. You can't say that about a guy like that. <laughs> but also, Brian McFadden knew that he was going to elicit some type of reaction sure. from Patrick Peterson. Sure. Yeah. It's not like he's an innocent that, oh, I just yeah. brought it up and he was going to give a well-thought-out, cordial response. No. I just had a thought, and I, who knows where this goes, but Super Bowl's in Arizona. Vikings have a pretty decent oh, record no. right now. Oh, no. If Minnesota gets to the Super Bowl, oh, no. can you imagine how much trash Patrick Peterson is going to be talking about Arizona? Oh, my. That he's playing in a Super Bowl in the Cardinals stadium? God, I hadn't thought of that. It's a distinct possibility. Oh, God, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I was thinking, because my thought was, how much longer are we going to hear Patrick Peterson complaining about the Arizona Cardinals? Feels like forever. And it's like, I said it earlier on, in the afternoon that if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm like, shut up, man. Oh, yeah. Why do you keep focusing on this team that you haven't played for in years? Oh, yeah. We have bigger goals. We have aspirations this season, and you seem fixated on what happened yeah. years ago. Yeah, if, if I were if, if, if I were a Vikings fan, I, I would kind of feel like, hey, dude, quit talking about your ex-wife yeah. in, front of your, in front of your wife-wife. Yeah. All right, like we get like, it. Like we, we you broke up for a reason. We get it. You're angry at her. Okay, you, you're you're married to us now. Yeah. Quit fixating on the ex. Okay, because you got a pretty good thing going on here. Yeah. Your your current wife's pretty nice. Yeah. You know, she's pretty attractive. She she's got a good personality. She's a good woman. She's a good mom. Quit focusing on the ex because because if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm like not like super fixated about it. I'm excited about my team, but there would be a part of me who's like. You're having a renaissance season on a team that's one of the best in the NFC. You're going to win the North by a mile. I mean, no one's even close to you. Can't you enjoy what you have, or are you just so obsessed with getting one over on your former organization that you'll just trash him at whatever turn? Hell, I saw a soundbite uh, or a quote from Patrick back in April in which he supported Kyler Murray in his contract battle against the Cardinals. He was saying great things about Kyler Murray. Yeah. It's like, just well, I mean, even now you've got me thinking about this yeah. Super Bowl thing. Like I'm trying to picture Super Bowl media day. Oh and my just god, a throng of media descending on Patrick and what things he's going to say. He'd probably walk it back like he has every other instance of, well, I didn't actually mean it like that. Or And here's the thing. If, if there was even a little bit of nuance to what he was saying, I mean, there's some room for agreement, right? The Cardinals yeah. haven't handled things great the last couple of years. And the Patrick Peterson thing, I have no regret over the, how they handled that other than, you know, they probably owed the guy a phone call if they knew they weren't going to bring him back. That's kind of the above board thing to do. But, I mean, but, but like, you, you want to question the Cardinals and the decisions they've made? Fair. They've made some questionable decisions. You want to question Kyler Murray and his body language? Fair. At times it's very questionable, but this this blowtorch that he feels like he needs to do it with, this just going after him with a machete is, is like, dude, you back off a little bit, you know? And I just, 
I've said it before. Like, what is his end game on this? I, and that's I don't know. Because all he keeps doing every time he opens his mouth about the Arizona Cardinals is ruin his legacy here in Arizona. I mean, I even the most staunch Patrick Peterson fans, I haven't come across too many that are like, I still like that guy. I still, I, I still remember the good times, and they outweigh all of the shenanigans that has happened over the last few years. Honestly, I was, I think, one of the last ones kind of hanging on to that over the last, like even, even the whole, even the whole when they played earlier this year and the the letter and the printed email and and oh they done me dirty and all the things that he said the celebration. I mean, he even ripped Kyler in the celebration. Remember, he was like, playing video playing games. video games yeah. in the end zone, right? Even after all that, we came in Monday and we talked about it, and I said, look, for all of that stuff, he's still one of the greatest Cardinals in the history of the organization. He's still one of the most talented guys to ever walk through that door, and and I'll still think of him that way. I'm done with that. Not anymore. I mean, it, it's. It, I was still holding on to that, that he used to be one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and we were lucky to have him, and that is all but evaporated now as far as I'm concerned. I know this doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but let's say that he still gets inducted to the Ring of Honor and you know at some point in time into the Cardinals Ring of Honor. Has there ever in the history of sports been a Ring of Honor inductee who gets booed at his induction ceremony? Because as it stands right now, that's what would happen with it Patrick might. Peterson. It might. Time typically heals all wounds on this one. I don't think time is healing. He's not one. letting it heal though. He keeps uh, yeah. ripping the band-aid off every year. <laughs> Tearing the stitches yeah. out of his arm before the wound can rubbing his thumb into it. (laughs) Gross. Just that vision is, yeah, accurate but gross. Five games games left. And obviously, playoffs done. So what is the Cardinals' motivation now in these five games? How much do they have? We'll talk about that coming up on the Burns and Gambo Show. And Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right. Dario Shurich. As the president of his fan club, how did you not get prior notice to I, this? I don't know. My my uh, assistant obviously didn't have the, uh, the, the the PR email blast to go out to the other members of the Dario Shurich fan club. Um, I, I had kind of turned my attention away from Twitter. I did not realize that in the last uh, 10 minutes or so, Monty Williams said Tory Craig's groin strain happened in the game Wednesday. He came in the next day feeling sore, got it checked out. He was bummed to have missed tonight's game. Monty said they're hopeful to get him back soon. Monty also says Dario Sharich will start tonight. <laughs> Initially, apparently, he declined to answer the question, who's going to start? That's usually what Monty does. This is from Kellen Olson's Twitter account. Uh, but later acknowledged that it was going to be Dario. All right. All right. I mean, that shows you once again the depth on this team. Because earlier, we were banting about names that we thought was going to replace Tory Craig in the start five. Didn't even we did not mention Dario. Did not come across our thought process, and maybe that's shame on us, but, I mean, he hasn't really played much at all this season. I'm looking up his game logs right now, and I'll tell you just how much he has played so far well, this year, because you're right. It's not a lot at all. all right, go ahead. Go ahead well, I was just going to say, it's been interesting, too, because earlier we were talking about the bench, and coming into this season, how we both had major concerns about the bench for the Phoenix Suns. One of the guys who I thought was going to be kind of the consistent calming presence on the bench was Dario coming back from injury, and he really has been a non-factor so far. All right, in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games, in the last nine games, he's played 12 and a half minutes. And all of those minutes came in one game. He's well-rested. At Utah. The the game they played uh, two weeks ago against the Jazz on that Friday night in Salt Lake City, he played 12 and a half minutes that night. He has not, that's the only game he's played in since November 11th. And he's getting the start tonight. I love it. If For people who are listening who don't know, we've had this running joke on our show for a couple of years that I am the president of the Dario Church fan club. And I caught a lot of crap for it, too, <laughs> during the playoffs in 2021 because he, he, he had some really rough moments. Yes. Before That's he an hurt, understatement. Yeah, before he hurt himself against Milwaukee in the finals, he had some good moments and he had some really rough moments in that in that playoffs and I took a lot of grief for it, but I remember leading up to the playoffs, I was just on that bandwagon because like, he was such a connector out there. He was 
so he was kind of the Jock Landale of that season. A little bit, yeah. Just like wow, look at what he look at what he does, and he passes so well, and he sees the floor so well. So, all right, uh, that's that's cool. Let's see what Dario does tonight. I'll tell you what, there are a few sound bites drops that have always stuck with me. That even now that I'm no longer affiliated with the Burns and Gambo show on a regular basis, and one is Dario saying hello, Dave. <laughs> I think it was for your happy birthday it was, wish. It was for my fiftieth birthday. Yeah. Gambo, God bless him. Um, got a bunch of local athletes: Dan Marley, Kurt Warner, Luis Gonzalez, Luis Gonzalez, to wish me a happy 50th birthday. And this was like peak affection for Dario. Hi, Dave. Uh, this is Dario. <laughs> yeah, that right there. I can still hear that in my head all the time. Hi, Dave. This is Dario. <laughs> and he probably, when he was asked about that, he's probably like, if someone tried to explain, hey, there's this local radio host who has a real affinity for you. He's talking to, he's probably like, what? I don't get what I'm doing huh? on this, but he was a good sport. All right, just, just look in the camera and tell Dave happy birthday. Yeah. Hey, Dave, it's Dario. Happy birthday. Go away. You know, it's like that sort of thing. So, all right, enough on Dario Shards. Let's talk about the uh, Arizona Cardinals, who are, they have the buy this week, and uh, there was a really good story today, as he always does, Darren Urban over at azcardinals.com does such a really good job, and, and he, the headline of the story kind of says it all. By the way, he writes with, by the way, spelled B-Y-E. Oh, yeah, clever, right, clever. That's Darren. That's Darren. Very clever. By the way, how do the Cardinals approach the rest of the season? And he speculates upon a lot of the stuff that we've speculated on. Do you play? They've already had to play a lot of young guys yeah. because of the injuries, but do they play them even more? Do we see the snap counts of MyJ Sanders go up, of Cameron Thomas go up? Do we see, you know, we've even seen like DeAndre Hopkins hasn't played 100% of the snaps the last two weeks. And Cliff admitted on Monday that a lot of that has to do with kind of, not load management, but... But like a pitch count, you know, like we, you know, he came back from this injury and we just want to make sure we're careful with him. But a lot of it, too, just comes down to motivation. They're out of it. They're four and eight. They've got five whole games left, which is a long time to go yeah. when you're out of it. How do they approach these last five games? What's their mindset for these games? I don't, and that's the fascinating question, right? Because a lot of times teams at all levels will look at that last stretch when kind of playoff possibilities are out the window as a building bridge into next season, right? That, hey, we may not make the postseason this year. We may not be able to make much noise, but let's build a good foundation that jump starts us into the offseason. I just don't know if they have the ability to do that. I mean, just based off of what we've already seen from this team, they seem to have a knack of finding ways to lose games. And especially if more guys, more young players, are going to be getting reps and minutes and playing time, I would think that that's going to kind of continue to be the same trend. I was really worried after the Niners game on Monday Night Football that they were going to pack it in. I mean, like, really pack it in. Like, oh, okay, that's it. We're done. And I'll, I'll, I'll give them and Cliff and the organization a lot of credit. I know they didn't win against the Chargers and they fell apart. They played well enough that game. They, 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 played, they competed in that game. They wanted to win that game. And so that game, you know, gives me hope at least that they'll that they'll compete, you know, that they'll but then you know, I know that there are others who very much would like them to lose these last five games. So you you're, you're I'm hand, raising my I'm raising hands two hands. shot up. Yeah. And I know now Gambo's in the same boat. Gambo wants them to lose because he wants the draft pick. I think for you it's a little bit more than that. You want them to lose because you want it to like reach that point of no return where they, they've got to make some changes there because things were just so bad. I want there to be no doubt. No doubt that a change has to happen in the hierarchy of the Cardinals. More than just personnel, I'm talking about front office and coaching. I want it to be no doubt that changes have to be made because, let's be honest, based off of his track record, that's great. If the Cardinals lose the next five games and have a high draft pick, do we have any faith that Steve Kime will accurately do something with that high draft pick? Because his track record, as of late, indicates that's probably going to be a miss, even if it's a high draft pick. So if if the Cardinals lose the next five games and they have a high draft pick, I do not want Steve Kime being the one to decide what that draft pick is going to be. Yeah.
Steve Keim was with us today. He We asked him if he's worried about the motivation level of his team these last five games. You know, the one thing that I've tried to do with our scouts and, and our coaches is to try to hammer home the idea that we want competitors. Uh, obviously, Buda Baker is the, the poster child for that. If you got to get excited to play on Sunday and you, you're getting paid this kind of money and you can't get up for it and you're not feeling it, obviously they're not the kind of players we want around here. And then certainly work themselves out of the organization. But I know that I have a lot of respect for the Buda Bakers and the J.J. Watts and the guys who I know are going to lay it on the line each week regardless of the situation. Well, what's funny is if you look at the last five games outside of the, sorry, Mitch, Denver Broncos, <laughs> they're filled with teams that 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 aren't that aren't great, but they're in the mix. Playing for something. I mean, the Patriots are playing for something. Yeah. They're not a good football team, but they're playing for Falcons something. Falcons are playing for something. Falcons aren't a good football team, but they're playing for something. The Buccaneers, they're not a good football team, but they're playing for something, yeah. right? I mean, really, the only two teams on the schedule that don't fit that criteria are the Broncos, who are terrible. They're going to fire their coach at the end of the year. He's one and done. And the 49ers at the end of the season, and I have no idea then, by then what the 49ers will be playing for. I, 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 I would assume they'd be playing for something still because it's not like their record is blow you away good. You well, know? and Seattle in the division is still not that far behind them. No. So, I mean, if things play out over the next four weeks, that may not be a gimme that San Fran has the division wrapped up when it comes to Week 18. No, not at all. And so you have to look at the schedule a little bit too. Like I, the Patriots, I don't think the Patriots are that good. I think the Patriots are going to come in here like their season. Because it is. Their season is on the line on Monday Night Football. It's, it's then or nothing. Yeah. For the Patriots and the Cardinals, will the Cardinals be able to respond to that level of urgency? I don't know. They did against the Chargers. Chargers had to have that game. Yeah. And the Cardinals were were hanging with them. They were more than hanging with them. They were beating them for most game. They controlled that game for three quarters. Yeah. 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 So we'll see. When we come back here on the Burns and Gambo Show, Jordan Bird filling in on this Friday night. Oh, we've got such a juicy, big, full weekend of football. And it actually starts tonight. And we'll talk about it next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo, what's on tonight? What's on tonight is the Rockets and the Suns. 7 o'clock tip time. That's why we're going to be bonus Burns and Gambo tonight. We're going to go until 6.30, and then we'll hand things over to John Bloom, Tim Kempton, and, of course, the Hall of Famer Al McCoy for their call of the Suns and the Rockets. And once again, if you're just tuning us in, uh, Monty Williams announced pregame that it will be Dario Saric who will be getting the start tonight for Troy Craig, who's out with a groin injury that he suffered in the game Wednesday um, in in the win against the Bulls. Great. I mean, just another obstacle Another opportunity sure. for the Phoenix Suns to have guys that are ready when it matters the most. Bring it. Yeah, absolutely. Locally, that's what's on tonight, but there is a whole bunch more that is on, not only tonight, this weekend, and we'll get to it in a minute. First, I want to remind you, if you know a high school student with great character, deserving of a $10,000 scholarship, then we'd like to hear about them and how they can make an impact on our community. Text the word CHARACTER to 620-620 to share their story. Again, Text the word character to 620-620. All right. No Cardinals this weekend. Um, Gives us a chance to really sample the all-you-can-eat buffet of football without, you know, okay, we've got this Cardinals game that we want to watch, have to watch, whatever the case may be. It's You watch whatever you want this weekend. And um, it starts tonight with the Pac-12 championship game live from Vegas, Utah versus USC. We all know what's at stake. USC wins. They're the first Pac-12 team to represent the Pac-12 yeah. in college football's Final Four since, what, Washington in 2017? That sounds right. Um, and then, of course, if Utah wins, they will have beaten USC twice, and they'll dash the Pac-12's hopes again. Also, if USC wins, I believe the expectation is that Washington would go to the Rose Bowl for what it's worth, for anybody keeping track of yeah. such Kind of loses its luster a little bit. the third-place yeah, team bit. that's going to the Rose Bowl. I don't know how you feel. But and I know that they're on the outs anyways. But go Trojans! Oh, that's I mean I want Pac-12 to be represented. Gambo and I got the, the biggest argument about this two days ago. I heard Vinny this morning on the morning show. He was taking the the Gambo side of this. They're both like to hell with USC. You're leaving us. I'm not going to root for you. I don't care. You know, and, and I get it, but 
I'm tired of seeing the Pac-12 be a punching well, bag. I'm tired, and I know they're not going to be the Pac-12 in a couple of years. Yeah. I understand it, but for now they are. And I the look the Pac-12. You know, you watch college football. They've had a good year as a conference. They've had some good teams yeah. in this conference. They deserve rep- representation in this Final Four. I want to see them get it, even if it is a team that's on its way out the door. Well, and I'll even say that you know if this was uh, the if USC loses and TCU loses, then what are we looking at? Ohio State and Alabama getting a backdoor invitation to the playoff? Even if you don't have any affiliation with the Pac-12 or you hate USC for what they've done, don't you want a fresh group of teams in the playoff? Aren't you tired of seeing the same teams over and over and over again? Because to your point, I mean, I don't know what TCU's going to do, but let's say USC loses tonight. So what, that means I'm rooting for Ohio State to get in? Because they're on the doorstep. And they didn't even play in their championship game? Right. I mean, USC's getting punished because they were good enough to play in a conference championship game that Ohio State couldn't even get into? It's just, like, I I get it. I understand. They're leaving the Pac-12 high and dry. I understand the screw-them mentality. I just, I love Pac-12 football so much that even on their way out the door, I'd like to see the Pac-12 get a little love because it's been a long time since they've been worthy of that in 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 college football. And maybe this is kind of a defeatist way of looking at things, but... But the departure of USC and UCLA, to me, only makes the Kenny Dillingham hire even that more tantalizing because you're sure. losing Lincoln Riley. You're losing Chip Kelly. Really, in terms of like offensive gurus, all you still have is Oregon. Well, who knows what they're going to be looking like because they just lost their OC to ASU. This is an opportunity for ASU to take advantage of a watered-down, mediocre conference without those two teams in it. Plus, and I haven't heard this talked about a lot, with the expansion of the play- Playoffs now locked and loaded for 2024. Does it really matter that much that USC and UCLA have left you? Your conference champion is going to get in. Is going to get in every yeah. year. You're guaranteed it now. Before, and now you have two less teams to have to compete with. Right. Before it used to be like this prestige thing of of well, you better have a good conference and you better. Now it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. matter. As look now, if if Oregon and Washington end up leaving, which doesn't sound like they're going to in the next four or five or six years, whatever. Then maybe it's a, maybe the Pac-12 loses the right to earn that automatic spot, but for at least the next half decade or more, it doesn't matter who comes out of the Pac-12. It doesn't matter how good the Pac-12 is. They could have a three-loss team win the conference, and that team is going to the playoffs. So what do I care if this USC is the oppor- or UCLA's in it anymore? This right? is the opportunity to take advantage. Yeah. All right. So there's that. And then since we're on the college football train, and I'm curious to get your take on this one, the schedule tomorrow. So that's that's tonight, Utah-USC. Tomorrow, 10 a.m., it's 10th-ranked Kansas State against 3rd-ranked TCU. It's a Big 12 championship game. Then at 2 o'clock, it's 14th-ranked LSU against number 1 Georgia in the SEC. And then at 6 o'clock, it's unranked Purdue against 2nd-ranked Michigan. Everybody believes it doesn't matter if Georgia wins or loses, they're in. Agreed. It doesn't matter if Michigan wins or loses, they're in. Does it matter if TCU wins or loses? Yeah, I well, it Cause, shouldn't. Cause I don't think it should. They'd still only have one loss, yeah. and every team they'd be competing against would have either one loss or two. Yeah. And they also benefited for that extra game by being in their conference championship. Yeah, I mean, I guess, are you going to hold it against teams for playing in the conference title game and losing, as opposed to teams that didn't even get in? And the real, the real wrench in this whole thing is the Big Ten in Michigan and Ohio State. If the Big Ten did what the Pac-12 did, or did, you know what, a few years ago, or is it this the first year? This is the first year. They've gotten rid of divisions. It's not North versus South. It's just the two best teams. So what what kind of craziness would that have been after last week's game, Ohio State and Michigan were playing each other again this week for a Big Ten title game? So, I mean, it just, I don't think TCU should get penalized, but I think that they will if they lose to Kansas State. Even though Kansas State, what'd you say, they're 10 now in the country? They're 10. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's so. It's not like this. It's not. It's not Purdue. Awful, unranked. embarrassing loss. Yeah, yeah but it, it is. I, I don't know. I'm, I am. I go back and forth on what that means. I think if TCU loses, 
then the committee will recognize the opportunity to put in a bona fide blue blood like Ohio State, and they'll take it. I think. I agree. I think. I but I don't think that's fair. I don't know. Not, if, well, I, since when? I, yeah, since when? I fair. know fair. Yeah, fair doesn't have anything to do with this, obviously. So we'll see. There are some people who think that as long as USC wins tonight, then it doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. That that win or lose, TCU's in, Georgia's in, Michigan's in, and that tonight is really the only result that matters. I don't know if I believe that entirely, but we'll see. I would love that because it's new blood. New blood in the playoff. It's not the same old, same old. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Now, Georgia might run roughshod over all of them, and it might not so matter, you know, because we've kind of seen that too. And then in the NFL this weekend... On Sunday, good games, really good games uh, this weekend that involve not one, not two, five matchups between teams that are above 500. Sunday morning, Titans-Eagles. Sunday morning, Jets-Vikings. Sunday morning, Commanders-Giants. I don't know why my eyes just keep going to that one because they haven't played each other yet, yeah. right? Um, Sunday morning, God, that's a morning game too. Dolphins 49ers. How is that a morning game? It's in San Francisco? Yeah. How I mean, is that? I'll tell you what, the NFL is cattywampus when they. Did, there is so many. It's so heavy filled in the mornings. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's only like three afternoon games. How I the, don't understand that. How the hell is that a morning game? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's going to be what? In a. 10 o'clock? It'll be 11. It'll, oh, no, in California, it'd be in 10 California, it's 10 o'clock, yeah. right? Are, are we reading that right? I don't know about all that. I, <laughs> yeah, I did go Mike Salk on you there for a second. Let me go. Maybe I... That would be a little wild. Maybe I copied and pasted it wrong in my notes. Let me see. Let me see. Yes, I copied it and pasted it wrong in my okay. notes. My apologies. That's an afternoon game. Thank God. That didn't make any sense. I don't know. As a Cardinal season ticket holder, I could get her, my head around a 10 a.m. home game. That would be, I'd be home by 2 o'clock. Bloody Mary's in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. I'd be out there at 6. <laughs> Bloody Mary's and mimosas in yeah. the parking lot. <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, and then the other game, Chiefs-Bengals, AFC Championship matchup. And then on top of that, you've got the Deshaun Watson debut. I don't know if anyone's excited about that. Even the <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a ooh must, but I, I think there's genuine curiosity to see how a guy who hasn't played in nearly two years how he plays. There's definitely intrigue. Yeah, I just yeah, we'll see Especially how that with goes. How emotional Jacoby Brissett got knowing that was his last game. Yeah, you know, I like mean, he and he he. I mean, he didn't do great, but he had his moments for that team. There's just so many questions about that, and now we actually get to see what it will look like. And also, what will be interesting is how the fan reaction will be for him out there on the. The field. Oh, I don't know. Based off of some of the stuff that we've all seen on social with the the Cleveland Browns fans and how they've reacted, I, I suspect it'll be largely positive, and that's probably how that's going to be. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's you know, at the end of the day, yeah. I I don't know. There have been some very distasteful signs that have been held up by some Browns fans at some games that I I think he's going to. There's get always going to be knuckleheads, yeah, but you know. what is the majority of the fan we'll base? See. What, what's yeah. their pulse on it. All right, so we've got Bonus Burns and Gambo, but Jordan Bird did not sign up for Bonus Burns and Gambo, so we say adieu. Yes, sir. To Jordan, thank you for filling in. As always, man, it was a pleasure catching up with you and having you on the show. It was great. Anytime. Let me know. All right, you got it. Jordan Bird, our old producer here on the Burns and Gambo show, filling in for Gambo. When we come back, Bonus Burns and Gambo taking you right up until 6.30, and that includes the replay of our conversation with Cardinals General Manager Steve Kime. You'll hear that next here on Burns and Gambo. Football Friday with Burns and Gambo. Let's go! Presented by 72 Sold. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. That's us here on 98.7 and Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bonus Burns and Gambo here on this Friday night. We are live from Footprint Center and we're brought to you today by FanDuel Sportsbook where tonight the Suns are taking on the Houston Rockets. That's why we're on until 6.30. we got pregame coverage coming up at the bottom of the hour. So while we've got this bonus Burns and Gambo, it's an opportunity to bring you our conversation earlier today with Steve Kime, the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about all sorts of things as his team goes into the bye week. 
Let's look back for a minute on the Chargers' loss. Um, overall, I thought one of the better games you guys had played, and i got to imagine that adds to the frustration level a little bit with that game. What did you see out of your team on Sunday against L.A.? Yeah, very much so, and I think it comes back to um, one of the things that I harped on earlier in the season that I thought we did well was 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 play offensive football with some balance. You know, run the ball with effectiveness, and James Conner having over 100 yards rushing, and uh, some of the things I felt like Kyler played a good football game for the most part, and um, got his full complement of weapons finally. You know, with with uh, with Hop and and uh, and Hollywood, obviously Rondale missing, but you know I. It's tough because, like you said, I think we did some really good things that are positive that you can build on, but at the same time, a loss is a loss, and you can't make any excuses. You mentioned James Conner, and that was by far his best performance so far of this season, and it kind of runs in the face of what you would have expected considering the injuries that have taken place along that offensive line. What do you think was the key for that successful ground game with the huge game from James Conner that you guys had this last week? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think just you know, organizationally, it says a lot about um, sort of you know the, the sequence of events that happen when you're talking about having a patchwork offensive line, and you talk about having um, you know a, a fill-in offensive line coach and Steve Hyden, who I thought did a fantastic job, uh, and just you know James Conner's a competitive guy. I mean, he runs with physicality, and he's he's niftier than people think. And I just uh, attribute to all those guys, you know, to be able to step up and when the lights came on, they, 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 they did a solid job. How do you think that situation given, you know, with the coaching change and the way it went down in Mexico City and then having to react to it like that, how do you think your guys, your coaches, your personnel handled all that on the week? So I think about as good as possible. I mean, any time that you have things happen, um, you know, you just got to, everybody's got to put their, their hands in and, and do the best they can. You know, it's sort of our organizational philosophy. You just come through the door and roll up your sleeves and do the best you can. And, you know, everybody's got their lanes to stay in. And um, we just got to be uh, working in the same direction. And I think that, again, I, I, I testament to those guys, especially with the offensive line. I mean, I've never, again, I, excuses with injuries are, are certainly, um, not acceptable in the NFL because everybody has them. But, you know, when you go through lining up with 77 different players, which is number one in the NFL, and 12 different starting combinations, you know, it's just, it's it's difficult. But at the same time, you look at the Super Bowl champions that are going through similar type stuff with their injuries. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's a week-to-week league, and, and obviously we are focused on New England and, and, and feel like we have some, some things to prove. I don't mean to pour salt in your wounds with the way that that game ended, but just kind of talking about the way the NFL in general has kind of changed their philosophy of uh, philosophy in those you know late fourth quarter overtime moments, going for the win as opposed for the tie. That was two games this last week in the NFL that ended with a successful two point conversion. Do you just continue to think that this is going to be the trend moving forward that we'll see more and more of this? Uh, I don't want to say risky, but more calculated decision making at the end of games when it comes to whether to try to send it into overtime or win it in the moment. I, I do, and I think in particular some of the more uh, younger head coaches uh, rely a little more on the analytics side of it. Um, you know, whether it's what's the probability of, of, of going for it, and you know, our, our chances are seventy five percent versus you know, obviously the the alternative. And it's um, to me that, that, that that's I, I think analytics are a a positive part of the game, uh, but I think also sometimes you know, as a coach or as a general manager. You have to use that information, but you have to understand there's an instinctive part of the game, too, that you have to follow. Steve Keim, general manager of the Cardinals, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Given where you guys are in the standings, given where you guys are on the calendar, obviously the goal is still to win games for you and for Cliff and for everybody in the organization, but tonally, do things change a little bit in terms of evaluation, younger players, snap counts, things like that? How differently, given the set of circumstances you're in, do you sort of change things for the these last five games, Steve? Well, you know, I think that, number one, every week you want to win. Two, um, you do want to see young players, and 
unfortunately or fortunately, we, we've had an opportunity to see a lot of our young players. When you look at our draft choices and, and Trey and uh, obviously Maji Sanders and Cam and, and all those guys that are, that are playing and they're actually continuing to get better and better, which are, are good signs for us. But at the same time, there are growing pains. And, um, you know, week to week, we, we go through that and we see it. Uh, you know, I think that it, it's not going to change our approach. Our approach is always going to be to win football games, regardless of who's out there on the field. But again, I, I you know, just the way that things have fell this year, it's been unfortunate and disappointing and obviously unacceptable uh, to not only our organization, but our, to our fan base. Would you expect to see more playing time for Cameron and MyJ in these final five games? Do you think specifically yeah, with those I mean, two? I think, I, I, I think that Kibbutzi to continue and to see more time and and uh, when they do, I mean, I think to even the fans, I think you guys would all say that you see MyJ and, and Cam both flashing a lot of ability, which is uh, a great positive because we all know how hard it is to find pass rushers. So if you can find two of those guys in the middle of the draft that have a future and have the ability to create pressure, uh, and I think JJ's done a great job from the inside. Marcus Golden continues to play with a great motor. You know, we, we, we've had some uh, the ability to get pressure when I think maybe people were concerned about we didn't have the right type of personnel. I think that's one of been in more and more bright spots, I guess, or maybe the unexpected that some of those young kids are really coming around and playing good football. Well, another one of those guys on that defense is Isaiah Simmons, who had a pretty solid game against L.A. last Sunday, including a big early sack. Do you feel like this defense, with especially the younger guys, uh, even up to like a Zach Allen, do you think that they're starting to find their rhythm, find their, their pacing a little bit as this season has gone on and on? I don't think there's any question. I think Vance Joseph has done a fantastic job. He deserves a lot of credit. Um, and I think, again, those young guys, you just nailed it. Zach, Zach Allen playing fantastic football. Um, and you go down the list of whether it's our two safeties. You know, obviously, I think corners an area that we can can, can make some improvements. But uh, for the most part, I've been very pleased with the way our defense has played, especially those young guys, those young defenders. I think Zayvon's playing good football. Uh, Isaiah, again, they make mistakes like a lot of guys do, but they also make big-time plays, which, you know, six-foot-five linebackers that can run like both of those guys do, they're, they're hard to find. Steve, i got to ask, are you bothered by another round of conversation about Patrick Peterson and comments from Patrick Peterson about members of your organization? I, I don't pay attention to it. I, I, uh, I got enough on my plate. You know, four kids at home and uh, obviously the, the job that, um, that I have to do and the pressure that comes with it, I have, I don't, yeah, I'm sort of uh, out of the loop on all that stuff. I don't have social media either. So, But, um, you know, guy was great for 10 years for the Cardinals and certainly had a lot of gratitude for what he did for us. Not specifically to him then, but given the last couple of weeks, Kyler continues to be kind of at the center of the conversation and kind of a two-parter here. How do you think he's responded to being the center of the conversation for the last couple of weeks? And, and can he use being the center of the conversation as sort of a self-evaluation kind of moment to use it to even get better, to use this to improve? Well, the fact that Kyler had to sit two weeks with the injury, I honestly thought from, from my perspective that the way he came back, watching his body language, his approach, the way he played in the game, I thought he actually did a very good job. And uh, maybe sometimes th- th- those opportunities to be able to sit back and, and watch uh, are chances to grow. And uh, I think Kyler played a good football game, and I thought he did some really good things in terms of decision-making and uh, you know times that he had to run with the football, which are obviously difference makers for us. Last one on Kyler. Did, did There was a report that he and Cliff kind of used the time to, to build the relationship, mend the relationship. I'm not exactly sure what the right word is. Did, did you notice that as part of the improvement in Kyler when he came back after the injury? Was that a factor in it? I didn't I didn't know anything about mending. I just know that that, that quarterback group is, is close uh, with Colt and, and uh, obviously Kyler and Trace. You know, I think it's a good room and uh, as far as I know, I think, I think those guys have all, you know, great um, respect for each other and uh, I think the more communication they have the, the better obviously we're going to play and if, if that means that, that Kyler's chances to sit out and watch and would, would uh, increase communication with Cliff and our offensive uh, coaches you know then, then that's obviously a huge positive and yeah. that's that's all we can ask for last one for you Steve before we let you go and, and again kind of with the just given where you guys are right now you're a former football player you you are the general manager of football players do you worry about motivation in these last five games do you wonder where it comes from in these last five games given where you guys are organizationally right now 
You know, I, that's a great question, but I, I think it sort of goes back to the evaluation process. You know, the one thing that I've tried to do with our scouts and, and our coaches is to try to hammer home the idea that we want competitors. Uh, obviously, Buda Baker is the, the poster child for that. Um, if you gotta, if you gotta get uh, excited to play on Sunday and you, you're getting paid this kind of money and you can't get up for it and you're not feeling it, obviously they're not the kind of players we want around here. And then certainly work themselves out of the organization. But I know that I have a lot of respect for the Buda Bakers and the J.J. Watts and the guys who I know are going to lay it on the line each week regardless of the situation. That was our conversation with Steve Keim from earlier as the general manager of the Cardinals joined us on the Cards by week. When we come back, preview tonight's game, including the announcement of the change to the starting lineup. Troy Craig out with an injury. Dario Scherich in. We'll talk all things Suns with our buddy Suns broadcaster John Bloom next here on the Burns and Gambo Show. You're still here? Well, duh. It's not over. Don't go home. It's bonus Burns and Gambo. Bonus, bonus. This is brilliant. It's bonus Burns and Gambo. Yeah, we're still here and we'll be here till 6.30. This is great stuff. Are you ready? Let's go. Bonus Burns and Gambo on this Friday night and as usual because he is just a prince among men. John Bloom, Suns broadcaster, uh, more than happy, we hope anyway, to come on and Chop up the Suns a little bit. Talk Suns basketball with us on this bonus Burns and Gambo because John Bloom and Tim Kempton, Al McCoy, they'll be taking over at 6.30. Bloomer joining us courtside here on the Burns and Gambo show. What's going on, big time? Well, you know, I was thinking of one guy and one guy only just moments ago and Monty Williams dropped that bomb on all of us here when he said, who is starting tonight for the injured <laughs> Tory Craig? No, it's not Ishwain Wright. No, not Damian Lee. Not Jock. Landale. It is Dario Sharich, and, and I know your affinity for Dario Bernsey, and I know that that flame still burns bright, so let's hope that tonight is a very special night in downtown Phoenix. It, it's, it's dimmed a little bit this year, only because we haven't had a lot of opportunity to see him. I, I've been a, a little baffled by the usage, you know, I, I, and not because I'm a fan or because I remember what he did a year ago, but I, I really actually thought him coming back was going to be a somewhat integral part of all of this and it really hasn't so far so you know i'll i'll admit i've i've lost it a little bit but when i heard that it was dario who was going to be starting tonight i thought okay that's cool you've got my attention monty for starting dario why do you why do you think we haven't seen that much of him so far this is the only the what he's played in 12 minutes in like his last 10 or 11 games right i mean we have not seen a lot of no it's been very little and it is surprising for me too uh bernsey because i did have an expectation, and in fact, I remember several conversations during the offseason having watched Dario work as hard as he did to get back last year, and I remember after every game seeing him and Frank Kaminsky come by where I do the post-game show, you know, giving him a little dap and, and asking how things were going in their rehab, and you know, both guys are staying positive, working so hard to get back from their respective injuries, and then, uh, you know, you see him get a chance to play for his native country in the offseason, so you're thinking, okay, well, now he's back, he's back enough to play there, maybe Maybe he's ready to go and back for the Suns as well. And so I had a healthy expectation that he could be kind of the sleeper on this team that, that could make an impact that people weren't really talking about. And, and that has not happened yet. And that could be a variety of factors, one of them being the emergence of a younger Jock Landale who uh, you know seems to do a lot of things that the, this coaching staff and these uh, players are really enthusiastic about and have been since they laid eyes on him in the offseason, uh, just playing with him in pickup ball. And then uh, I think another factor is just that you're going up against a lot of teams that are not even thinking about putting a big man with the body type and the uh, skill set of Dario on the floor right now. They're going small, they're going athletic, they're getting up and down the floor, and Dario can sometimes be a liability from that standpoint when the pace is too quick for him. But there is a place for this man in this league. I really believe that. He is an excellent rebounder. He is an excellent passer. He can shoot the ball. He can do enough to find a place onto a floor in the NBA. It just so happens with this particular team right now, uh, that spot isn't readily available. But now, here we go. You have no Cam Johnson. you got no Jay Crowder, obviously, and now Torrey Craig on the shelf, so Dario gets a shot. After that rousing speech, I think you're the vice president of the Dario Shores fan club after all that. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm uh, happy I'm, to I'm, be I'm, there. I'm inspired now all of a sudden to talk about Dario Shorts. No, I, I do, and I, I don't. 
I know enough about basketball, but I don't know if I know enough enough about basketball to say this with any like real certainty. But it does seem like the Suns, like the thought was Dario could be a four, but he could also be like a small ball five. Yep. And it doesn't feel like they've really done the small ball five thing at all this year. I mean, yeah, they're playing against smaller lineups, quicker lineups, and maybe he's a liability in that. But Dario is a small ball five. I can't remember a time when one of Aiton, Jock, or Bismack hasn't been on the floor. It doesn't seem like they've really gone that direction with their lineups at all this year. No, and uh, that's fascinating because it is uh, something I expected to see a little bit of at least. And I know I wasn't alone in that. But yet here they are on top of the Western Conference, so I'm going to stop second-guessing. Them. How about the I guess conference? so. Yeah, no, and I'm not. You know, I'm not second. Look, it's it's working obviously, and it's just my like you say affinity for Dario that's led to this. And Jock Landale has been a terrific find. I, I mean, it's just so seamlessly weaved into what that they do, even when he gets limited playing time. As Monty kind of experiments, it. it I don't blame anybody for anything, but I am excited to see what Dario does in those minutes. All and right. One so, other thing, we're, oh, yeah, just sure. before we skip out on this conversation, because I don't want to leave him out of it. We haven't brought up Bismack Biombo. So he is a factor, too, in this because he's rim-protecting, right? I mean, he's been blocking shots all over the place so far right. with his left hand, with his right hand. So that's something Dario doesn't do either. So if you're looking at Monty's decision-making process, you could start to understand it because he's using these kind of different tools that he has. And for some reason, he just hasn't had the need yet to go to that Dario Charge tool until tonight against the Houston Rockets. All right, I don't expect you. I asked this question of Kellen Olsen, uh, our son's guru, yesterday. I don't expect you to rank them or do anything of the kind, but when you start categorizing Devin Booker performances, how do you categorize what we saw a couple of nights ago against the Bulls? How does that, again, not necessarily where it ranks, but when you think about the all-time performances, is that the best shooting performance you've ever seen him do? Is that the best, most dominant you know, quarter-long takeover you've ever seen him do? How do you sort of categorize what you saw out of Devin Booker? I think it was his best regular season night. If that makes sense. Can I can I just say night? It doesn't mean best. Yeah, I guess it was his best shooting performance. I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, with the amount of shots he put up, then yes, it qualifies as that. Uh, I think it was his best performance in the regular season. There were a couple virtuoso performances in the playoffs that we can remember very fondly as DeAndre Ayton wows the crowd again and runs off with a giant smile and a bunch of high fives after knocking down his underhanded half-court shot here. That's the uh, burst you might have heard behind the me. Tradition, but, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it seems to go down every time we're talking, Burnsy. I don't, he loves it, he loves yes. it when, when I get to talk to Burnsy and, and tell everybody about him making it. Well, uh, <laughs> as far as uh, as Booker's performance, though, I mean, I'm still somewhat jaw-dropped over it, like when I think back to it, because we got caught up in it sitting up where we're sitting, calling the game and, and watching it. Uh, you can't help but, but getting caught up with almost the breathlessness of the crowd every time Booker would get the ball. Everybody would just kind of get ready to see what's going to happen. And I heard you talk about this earlier with Jordan Bird. It was great seeing you both tonight, by the way, here in the gym. Uh, and and I, I, I agree with you. I think it's become appointment viewing now, not just for Suns fans. Basketball fans yeah. want to see what Booker's going to do next. Yeah, and that's and that was the comment I made. And it really, the thought it just kind of occurred to me in the moment that that is, when you've reached that level of superstardom in this league, right? And, and, I, and I get it. We're here in Arizona. I don't know if everybody feels that way everywhere about Devin Booker, but I think we're getting there where, you know, a a, a game between the Suns and anybody has become appointment viewing because it's like, what is Devin Booker going to do now? And and, and what is that you might, it might be that crazy night where Devin Booker just goes off and does something special. And I think when you've achieved that level of individuality, right, that 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 Giannis level, that Uh Luka level of what is he, not they, what is he going to do tonight? That I think is what separates the real superstars within the subgroup of superstars in the NBA, you know? Yeah, I agree. And and we're saying this knowing that this is not what his ultimate goal is, right? No, I mean, we, we And that's yeah. what makes us love him even more because you know in the end he just wants to win the game. He's going to do whatever he can to help his team win the game. And the other night it was 51. Before that it was 44. No idea what it's going to be tonight. And I'm not going to put a number on it, Burns. You don't ask me to. I just am like you. I'm excited to see what he's well, got in store. And, and you know, and I, I, I want to be honest with everybody, 
too. It could very well be that he goes 10 for 23 for 24 points. You know, like, like it, it could be, you know, and, and not that, that we should be disappointed by that, but, but we should also expect that what he did the other night, what he did on Monday in Sacramento, that's hard, it's not right? Normal. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's a level that you just can't achieve in this league every single night. You, you yeah. just, you're not going to. And so even if it is a 10 for 23 for 24 point kind of night, that's fine too. It's just the, uh, it's just the, the randomness of, hey, tonight could be the night Devin Booker has one of those games. That's why he's become the appointment viewing. He's not going to do it every night, but the fact that he's capable of doing it drives you to watch, I think. Oh, I agree. And frankly, uh, you know, I think tonight ideally would be a night that he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to put up the big numbers against a young Rockets team. Ideally, you get other guys involved, and maybe even Booker gets to sit and rest a fourth quarter when you've got three games and four nights all against the teams from the state of Texas, starting with the Rockets tonight, then the little two-step will do on the road, San Antonio Sunday afternoon and Dallas on Monday night. So, yeah, three games and four nights, always a tough one. And, by the way, I want to add this. If you need some bulletin board material, Boban is out on the floor right now warming up for the Rockets. He just faked like he was going to do the DeAndre Ayton underhand half-court shot and then giggled uh, with a couple of his uh, colleagues out there. So if you needed some bulletin board, there's Boban kind of making fun of our big fella here. You know, he's, but he's such a fun-loving guy. How can you be mad at Boban? He is. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm, I just saw a Boban commercial just a second ago. I mean, the, the guy's he's, he's everywhere. He's, right. You just hope he's at Home Depot when you're shopping and he can yeah. get the thing off the top shelf for you. <laughs> he's, he's walking DeAndre Ayton. He's getting the mustard off the top of the shelf for me. He's, he's everywhere and everything to everyone. All right, Bloomer, uh, as always, I look forward to hearing you when I'm driving home. You and Tim and Al doing the great work that you always do. And uh, we will catch up with you very soon, my friend. Thanks for the time. All right, Birds. You have a great weekend. You got it. John Bloom, along with Tim Kempton and Al McCoy, they've got the call of the Suns and the Rockets coming up. That's going to do it for us. We are out of here. We will see you Monday, straight up 2 o'clock right here on the Burns and Gambo Show. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Go.